justice like lightning should ever appear to some men hope and other men fear. I'm Chris Spivey. And I'm Eddie Webb. And today we talk about season one of Black Lightning on Genreless. I'm going to start off this episode by saying that I am totally biased for this show in every single way for this first <laughs> season. Whoever wrote the first season of Black Lightning must have come to me in a dream and said, what would Chris like to see in a superhero show that we can afford? And then they pulled all that out of my head. They gave it to some writers, which I wish they'd hired me to write. And they created this show, which... Funnily enough, it even came up in my Facebook feed today. Yes, kids, I still have a Facebook account. Um, came up in my Facebook feed today that I've talked about this show before it aired and how I was avoiding spoilers on the day we're recording this episode. So what you're just saying is the writing team pulled you into a red room and spoke to you backwards to get to your information so that they can then write the show. Yes, I even went over the couch and they told me, in 25 months, it will come to you. And lo and behold, <laughs> it did. Bubblegum came back in style. <laughs> I blame you. This stuff's stuck in my head now. Oh my God. Stuck in stuff stuck in my head. That is one of my favorite lines from it. Ah, but <laughs> still nothing will ever, ever be better, I think, than uh, fire. Walk with me. I'm thinking that all the time, and I don't know why. It has no relevance to anything I'm doing. Walking along in the day, walking the dog. <laughs> fire, walk with me. Why, brain, are we thinking this? <laughs> I feel you. I feel you. Occasionally, uh, my brain will play random theme songs from cartoons I've not watched in literally decades. Like Mighty Mouse? Like, for me, it's such a Hong Kong Fooey. That's a good one. Uh, <laughs> Although I, I frequently sing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to Zora from the early, like the first 90s one. <laughs> Even when Michelangelo was a radical dude. There's actually a Twitter account, um, and it's probably gone now because everything of Joy and Twitter has been destroyed. But for a while, there was one where it would tweet uh, Wikipedia articles if the title hit the same cadence as Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from the theme song. <laughs> and I'm like, that is... The best use of Twitter I've ever seen. So when when she was, when Zora was four, I actually found a YouTube clip that showed all the 80s and 90s opening anime uh, cartoon intros for Saturday mornings. And I sat there and I watched it with her. And <laughs> I found the ones that she liked and saying to it. So I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> but she did enjoy Darkwing Duck. <laughs> good, good. There's hope for her yet. <laughs> but as much as I could go on and on about that, we're, we're here to talk about the best Arrowverse show, hands down, no matter what Eddie says about Green Arrow, Green Schmarrow, it's Black Lightning Green season one. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to be I'm going to be honest. Um, I did not watch this show when it came out because when I heard hey, the CW are going to write a black-led show, I was deeply skeptical. Because um, CW is 
not known for sensitive writing, shall we say? <laughs> they have a what? formula. We've talked about the we've talked about the formula. The CW has a formula and they stick with it. And I did not see how the CW formula would map to the kind of show they were presenting Black Lightning as being. And I've watched it, and the answer is because it's not a CW formula show. <laughs> it just happened they to hired, be on the CW. <laughs> I think they hired a black writing team is what it was. Yeah. And they had black creatives in the lead, which goes back to saying that if you're writing something about an, a lived experience of people, you hire those people to do it, lead it, and be the primary voices in the room, not coming in later how people do as like sensitivity readers and other things. At that point, right. it's too late. Right. Um, and since I have watched these three episodes, I will even go so far as to say, I think I like it better than Luke Cage. Uh, I can say unequivocally that I like it better than Luke Cage, but that is going to be something that we'll probably go into as we're watching <laughs> it. But the three episodes that we picked does not have one of my favorite scenes in it. One of my favorite scenes is in the second episode, and it's not even Jefferson Pierce's Black Lightning. It is Jefferson Pierce's dad. Walking into something that deals with his kids, like, mm. but then again, like I said, it speaks to me because a lot of Luke Cage deals with like the struggle of living on the streets and supposedly the stereotype that people have that some black people have to endure, like, yep. and that is what they want to propagate. And that's the message they constantly want to put out. So it reinforces that. It's kind of how, even if you watch the TV show back in the day, cops, they would always run in and be arresting black people primarily yep. mm -hmm. they wouldn't be arresting like the white cracks heads or the so-and-so from so-and-so they'd focus on that so they could reinforce that stereotype which creates fear which leads into more racism which raises the the show's profile for them gets them more money and at the same time disparages a group of people that have already been targeted marginalized and constantly assaulted by society absolutely and so Black Lightning, on the other hand, shows another aspect of that, that you have this brilliant um, Olympian who's coming back to help his own community. And it focuses on like the teachers and like the struggle they're doing to try to help navigate a very difficult world with very limited resources while constantly dealing with oppression. Like that is a different story and struggle entirely. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think... It was based on what little I know of Black Lightning. I understand kind of how they got there, but it was actually really cool to not just have it be, oh, this is the Black experience, but also a retired superhero, which is an experience we don't, that is another experience we've never seen a lot of on TV. You know, it's like when you're an older superhero and your family's getting drawn into this and you're looking at the cost that was done to you and now you're seeing all that cost does to people you care about. That's stuff that has been touched on in bits and pieces, but never really dived in any meaningful level. And so um, not only does it better than uh, uh, Luke Cage, but also this was kind of a half-decent, almost Fantastic Four in the sense of this is a superhero family and the struggles they have to go through in a way that no super Fantastic Four movie has ever cracked. <laughs> All right. So I guess we should start how we always do a little bit of a smidge of the history of Black Lightning and sort of an overview of some of Black Lightning's powers. That That's the format we've established. Mm -hmm. Rough that it is, and we plug it in wherever we want. Part of me was almost debating, let's wait to the very end and throw everyone off and then talk about the actual comic Black Lightning and their history and powers. But <clears throat> I won't do it. 
Um, so Black Lightning is the first DC black superhero title. Right. Like those are very specific caveats. And it was right, in, because I the say, first the first black superhero in DC was Mal from Teen Titans, right? Uh I don't think so. I want to say the first black superhero in DC was a racist ripoff in the Legion of Superheroes. That was uh, the Screamer. I forgot who they were. were, were Like if you blink, you would have missed it. It was either that character or I want to almost say Bumblebee was also very, very early on. And she might have been. Bumblebee came after Matt. Brandon, right direction, but I actually have been reading 60s and 70s Teen Titans recently for reasons that are too boring to go into. Um, and, and technically, Mal was it, he had superpowers before then, but he, he put on a, a costume after Bumblebee. Uh, but he had a horn that was from an angel that he punched out, which is hilarious. Um, and he could use the horn to, to summon superpowers because it was DC in the 60s, and that's just the shit you do with DC in the 60s. <laughs> You, you realize the second you said that, it reminded me of Cisco punching Q, right? <laughs> <laughs> Q pulls shenanigans, Cisco punches it, bam! Picard would have never hit me. I'm not Picard. I love, love Picard. Oh. oh, everyone hates Q. Listen, you know why Q is the best episode? Yeah. <laughs> That's right, folks. We're going to, next starting next episode, we're nothing but a Star Trek podcast, hands down. Don't threaten me with a good time. Uh, but no, we're you're gonna, right. This is the gonna, first. Uh, title that DC had that was Black Lead. And so even then, but for the originally, Black Lightning didn't have powers. He had a belt that let him make force fields and shoot lightning bolts equivalently. And the costume it's, yeah, yeah, the metahuman oh, thing was a retcon later. Oh god. Which is so much better. Like as a retcon. Oh yeah. Like him having powers himself. And the costume though. Alright, we gotta talk about the costume oh, and like this. It was the so, 70s. <laughs> originally, the history of Black Lightning kind of still stays the same. Growing up, having lost his father, raised with a mother, then Gamby, uh, Taylor, uh, sort of comes and helps the family and helps him grow. And he goes, he was born equivalently in Suicide Slum, which is in Metropolis. Right which is in later changed, I want to say like South Side City or something, one of the retcons, because calling something Suicide Slum is not at all cool. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. The, the reason it was called Suicide Slum is because the only way you could escape it was to kill yourself. Right. That's and great. this is, I want to say, from almost from when Superman was from the 50s and 60s of Superman is when Suicide Slums first showed up. And mm. it was changed in the 80s or 90s to be South Side City. So it stayed a long time. Uh, so he goes, be, wins the Olympics and all these other things, comes back and eventually becomes a teacher and then a principal to sort of help his community and everything else. In one of the retcon versions, because there's so many of them, <laughs> uh, is that he, Superman, comes to Black Lightning for help because Superman cannot go into Suicide Slum because there's a magical element and his powers won't work. So he teams up with Black Lightning, which I love because sure. it takes into takes into account Superman's own weakness that is constantly overlooked. That is why in a fight between Superman and Shazam, Shazam beats Superman nine out of ten times. Yeah, it's magic. Because Shazam is all magic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so 
Jefferson then takes care. I'm not going to tell you the comic because I want you to go buy the Black Black Lightning Year One. So I'm giving you a very broad overview because mm. I think more people should go buy Black Lightning because it's a great comic and they should read it and then get the character more elevated and then they get more sales and maybe put into the DC EU proper. Yeah, totally. Um, and that magical element is why you have Tobias Whale, who is a deals with a <laughs> uh, centuries old magical group that were doing shenanigans and so it's a lot of, of it's focused on the magic and superpowers which is something i like to write about myself on the side <laughs> but black lightning is in worked with batman very closely and he was part of batman's outsiders uh oh, they retconned right. in they retconned in black lightning having two kids who is very quiet about never mentioned them so that's how they get thunder and lightning which then changed the character's dynamic in lex luther president Lex Luthor appointed Black Lightning as Secretary of Education. So there's oh, all cool. these great little snippets of Black Lightning history that's just sort of sprinkled throughout the DC. Uh, and I do know that uh, part of how Black Lightning came about is Tony Isabella was the writer on uh, uh, Heroes for Hire and, and the Luke Cage book before that. Um, Power Man, and when he defected from Marvel at DC, they said, we want to have some of that money. So they hired him to kind of write the, the Black Lightning uh, comic, which, you know, that's fine. Um, but it does raise the question of why Tony Isabella is obsessed with having black men not have an entirely full shirt. So they all have a deep, deep V cut. There are so many, so many puns I could give you that I, I'm torn by which one, and I'm not going to waste <laughs> podcast time to do it. Um, the costume itself, I want to go back to the 70s for a minute, which we kind of breezed over purposely, but I'm going to really talk about it, is that they had Jefferson effect, uh, I'm quoting now, so finger quotes, a jive-talking stereotype that was presented for black people with a fro as part of his costume. So people wouldn't be able to recognize who he was when he wasn't Black Lightning. So the domino mask had a fro attached to it. So you oh could pull it off God. the fro in the domino mask and then he would have like normal hair. Wow. So I I genuinely don't know if that's horrible or amazing. <laughs> it It's both. It is horribly <laughs> offensive. And yet for the 70s when it was written... A, a poignant point to put on something as much as right. a group of white writers could trying to write a black character. Yeah. And that's, that's what I find interesting about seventies Marvel and DC is that uh, a lot of it has not aged. Well, I mean, uh, the comics just mentions uh, uh, um, the fists of Kung, fists of fury Kung Fu. Uh, there's a lot of comics where they tried really hard to bring characters of color into it, but they used white writers and or white artists. And so it was the well-meaning misstep. So it's like, it's both. It's like, I, I respect and appreciate what you're trying to do here, but also certainly have done and can do a lot better now. And <laughs> so I am, I'm glad the character exists, even with the less than ideal circumstances that it came out. But, then it also goes back to the time that when you're reading something now, you have to do an account when it was written to really sort of engage with that material. Much how I personally do with a lot of writers like Lovecraft and other people. 
like I acknowledge the racism that's inherent in it and then read it for the context it has and anything that I can take out of it for enjoyment. But I don't forget the time that it was written and how we've moved on past that. It does help that a lot of the writers who work this time period who are still around have generally been pretty open about saying a combination of I've learned a lot and, you know, I certainly would do that now. And also I was dealing with a lot of editorial mandates. I remember, um, and I blanking on his name, but uh, the guy who, uh, it was McGregor, uh, who wrote Black Panther before uh, Jack Kirby came back, um, uh, was, was the person pitched, you know, Black Panther having his own comic. Uh, and uh, in several interviews, he's talked about how Marvel constantly say, where are all the white people? And it's like, you asked me to put this character in Africa where are all the white people, they're not here because it's Africa. <laughs> and to that point, I even think when Christopher Priest was writing Black Panther, they said, we want more white people in it. Right. And he said, okay. And in the next ep- in the next issue, he put the clan in it with Black Panther yes. beating up the clan. Yes, I don't think he got to Chris stay on amazing. much longer after that. But <laughs> it's just not the writers. It's also the entire environment they're forced to function because if they wanted to do something, they then have to get it approved and go through all those little barriers, which dilutes the idea. Right, right. Uh, but it goes back to your earlier point to get back to the show is that um, there is definitely a, a different uh, resonance um, because if I remember correctly, the Luke Cage writing team for the Marvel series well, it was not a primarily black team. It was, it was a, a mix at best, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. And this one is predominantly, if not exclusively, a black creative team. Uh, and there definitely is an black adventure authenticity that you can tell right out of the bat just by watching this show. And black lightning powers before I forget and we go on to the episode itself. Oh, right. Sorry. Uh, when we move away from the belt and it gets retcon that Black Lightning is a metahuman, he has electrical based powers, which a lot of writers like to have black characters when they give them superpowers, which is a whole nother conversation I want to have about black characters and superpowers that they're given, but that's an entire episode we can do later. But has electrical generation, like forceful generation, it's like energy absorption, can turn himself into a lightning bolt later on and shoot through electrical lines, can drain energy from other things to power himself can also use that energy for like healing for superhuman strength. And we even get a glimpse in the show of like the forceful generation, which is a nice touch. So it's just not shooting lightning bolts or those sort of things. It's sort of an expansive and very impressive power set. It, it from what you're describing, it sounds like lightning is a bit of a misnomer. It's really more energy manipulation. Yes that comes out as more electrical in appearance. So that's why it gets dubbed right, right. lightning. Ah, uh, uh, and I, I hate, I hate with a fiery passion, the descriptor of black for a black superhero. Yes. Black lightning, black Goliath, black Panther. <sighs> yeah. So that's something that really frustrates me. It's not like you run around saying white Goliath, white captain America. So it's, <laughs> a, a personal pet peeve that I wish they would move away from. And in the comics, once where they had Black Lightning and Mr. Terrific team up together, they tried to retcon it away by him saying that I was the only I was the only black superhero at the time, so that's why I put it in my name. Like they tried to do that nonsense how with Supergirl, 
they tried to say, what, who's yeah. on a girl? It's right. It doesn't work. No, no. Just, uh, just in, let it any go. other questions about the history of black lightning or anything before we move on to the show proper? Uh, I mean, I would love to sit down and, and, and do a deeper dive, but I think we need to get going on the show. So let's, let's dive right in. All right. Uh, Black Lightning, by the way, was a member of the Outsiders and a reserve member of the Justice League. Eventually, I think Grant Morrison put him in the Justice League, but that's a whole other conversation that I would like. But all right, yeah. Season one, episode one, the resurrection. After his older daughter Anissa is arrested for protesting, high school principal, former Olympian, and retired superhero Jefferson Pierce is again harassed. Finger quotes for the crime of driving while black. The last straw comes when his youngest daughter, Jennifer, gets into trouble at a club owned by a gang called the 100, and he is forced to use his powers to rescue her. Peter Gamby, his mentor and friend, urges him to become Black Lightning again, but Jefferson refuses to break the promise he made to his ex-wife, Lynn, to give up heroics in hopes of reconciling with her. A 100 gangbanger named Will and his friends abduct Jennifer and Anissa, despite an agreement between Jefferson and the gang leader, Lala. Lynn temporarily, <laughs> Lynn temporarily frees him from his promise in order to save their daughters. With Gamby's help, he rescues the girls from the 100 at the Seahorse Motel. However, he's unable to find Will's, Will's boss, Lala, during the altercation. After being brought to... After being brought to the head of the 100, Tobias Well, by his two underlings, Lala is instructed to kill Black Lightning. Anissa, Anissa's trauma activates her own powers, causing her to break the sink in half. A lot happens. And it's just, As it well shouldn't a pilot. And we've talked about this before, about... Um, uh, uh, how pilots can make or break a show. And I honestly, uh, much like I said uh, for um, uh, The Flash, I believe, uh, this is a, it's a well-paced pilot. Nothing's too overwhelming. You, you can follow things along, but you still get a lot of strong information. Uh, like, uh, I genuinely believe like there was an entire series of this show before this one where he was you know not retired um it, it, it we, we joked about this on uh, uh twitter recently but like it actually kind of reminded me of the nightshades uh, episode in uh the 90s flash where it's like they kind of made the illusion of this whole other bit like it existed that she's never saw um so uh even though i had no real knowledge of these characters going in by the end of it, I was like, yeah, I completely believe this guy had been a superhero for several years and retired and was struggling with that. It was it was really well done. Which this show, uh, to that extent, uses flashbacks very well. And they introduced another little gimmick for flashback that I really enjoyed. The uh, shop owner with his VHS tape of Black Lightning. Yes, yes, that was great. I love that. Watching it over so and over it, again. It's like they all saw Arrow and went, that is way too many flashbacks. Let's fix the flashback <laughs> problem and make it more pertinent to the show to give context for what we want to tell you. And those really help cement the character and makes you envision what that earlier series would have looked like. And just seeing that costume that was more comics accurate 
than the one we get in the show later. Right. Right. But there's little things like, um, uh, um, Lynn's hair and his hair were different in that flashback. Um, as I said, the costume was different. Um, there was a slight tint on the film. So kind of, again, visually forecast, this is, this is the past. Um, but because they basically drop us in media res into this situation and then backfill it, uh, they, they don't have a lot of exposition. There's only a couple of flashbacks really. And both of them are pretty short. Uh, so it's a good job of the dialogue filling in the audience goes along and it was done very naturally. There wasn't a lot of, as you know, Bob kind of exposition. So to start with the beginning of the episode, uh, that is a part that speaks to me more, I think, than I can express for our, our listeners to understand. But being a, a black man of a certain age with a daughter mm-hmm. and having myself been stopped multiple times for just driving while black with no reason mm-hmm. to have that encounter put up in that way with someone more like myself than what Luke Cage is. Right was painful to watch, but yet something that I couldn't turn away from. And to see the constant restraint that he used not to use his powers, to not give into that rage, it's there for being harassed and continuously targeted while you're in a suit going, getting ready to go to a function to celebrate you for trying to do, to being a pinnacle of something that brings a community together. And then to have your daughters who are also threatened because one slip, if they decide, if the officers don't see their humanity, they kill them, which is a constant, constant thing. Even now in the news, if we were to Google, we can read about the incident that just happened yesterday. Yeah. It is staggering and painful and beyond words. Yeah. And the worst part is, is by the time this episode goes live, there may be a different episode you're referring to yesterday. Um, different ones. But it's... Uh, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, I, I don't have those same kind of lived experiences, but certainly I've had lots of friends who have been through those and they map with the stories I've heard, uh, uh, particularly of the, especially the Have a Nice Day Now, Sir line. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was delivered by the police officer a little more archly. It's a, it's a superhero show. So, like, you know, they're going to be, everyone's going to be a little more heightened in their delivery. Um, but, it wasn't invalid, right? It was the the line was saying one thing, the the face and the body language was saying something completely different, and it was very clear on the screen what those two things were. Having had that happen, it was not overplayed. It was a little okay. underplayed, actually. Okay, all right, I stand corrected then. Uh, but I mean, just off again, like little things like um. Uh, I'll say one thing also, um, the actor who played Jefferson Pierce won me over within like about five minutes, uh, which is great for a lead. Um, but the little things like when he just put his head on the steering wheel, uh, told me so much. I could see the exhaustion on his face, even though he didn't say a word. And I'm like, okay, I'm drawn in. I want to follow this guy to the end of the earth. This character has really got me now. And I want to make a parallel between this scene with the daughters who are younger and who are wanting to like go and fight right then and like trying to record everything, mm-hmm. which you should do if it's legal in your state, but no, it's a risk. And yep. back to Peggy Carter season two that we talked about where 
she get her oh, i forgot his name now the scientist that the black scientist that she kind of dates in season two right. get harassed by the police and peggy's first instinct is to like punch the cop and instead he diffuses it and deals with basically being insulted and belittled to get them out of the situation and turns to her and says what are you going to do punch every single racist that we meet like right. that is the volume of it like you can't just physically fight it you have to change a system Mm-hmm. And that comes, and that goes back and reflects on Anissa, who's his daughter, who's actively protesting and doing all that stuff, and him having done it, and yet Jennifer, the younger daughter, not wanting any part of it and just wanting to like live her life. Like that shows different aspects of that same struggle beautifully. I I completely agree. Um, uh, just as a drama, um, taking the 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 real life Carol's out of it, um it did a really good job of setting up a, a central premise and then giving you almost immediately four different viewpoints that are not only differing from that central point, but also can coexist and can overlap. Uh, it's just, it's just well-structured cast drama um, is that at some points, these uh, viewpoints are going to align and those characters are going to get along. At some points, those uh, viewpoints are going to clash and there's going to be drama there and tension there. Uh, and it, it was a nice balance because Jefferson was set up as not uh, a, a strict patriarch. Um, you know, He clearly wants his daughters to have some autonomy and to think for themselves and to uh, have some ownership over themselves. Uh, but he is not afraid from cracking down if he feels that's necessary uh, for them. And again, it, it's, it's a, it's a great family dynamic. And honestly, f- families are in superhero shows generally suck. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it, it's just true. I mean, go back to fantastic four, but like, usually if there's a, f- a strong family, I mean, the flash, right. We talked about how the, the flash dynamic is, is rough in a lot of ways. Um, but if you actually have like a large family structure, um, it's really hard to keep that going and keep that compelling and interesting. Some characters will tend to kind of go to the edges, but all four of those characters come from an interesting standpoint. They're, they're interesting to watch. And that scene is a really good way to cement each person's role in the family and their viewpoints in a way that's extremely organic. Before we go on to uh, the, the next scene, what did you think of the choice of them to have Black Lightning not be on the same Earth as, at this point, I want to say both, Arrow and Flash were out, and I think Supergirl may have even have existed, but not on their Earth. To like not have dropped Black Lightning, at least on Kara's Earth, where it could have had that same sort of Black Lightning-Superman parallel. Yeah, I liked it for, for two reasons. Um, uh, uh, for one... I think if you're going to give a black creative team autonomy and say, we want you to make your own thing, you've got to commit to that and making them beholden to decisions of, to be honest, primarily white writers before them would have undercut that message. Um, so I think that's, that's a really good reason to do it. Uh, but also it's, it's canonically impossible to reconcile a guy who had an entire career superhero then uh, retired from it with Barry Allen made superheroes have superpowers happen three years ago. <laughs> totally agree. I was just curious. Um, so then we get to actually shift and we go to the school itself where we get the introduction of Henderson, who's 
the equivalent of the chief of police and is really good friends with Jefferson. And you get that exchange between the police chief, the black police chief saying that uh, they, they probably weren't my men, but I'll, I'll look, I'll try to track them down for you. Like that mm-hmm. showing that Jefferson is trying to use a system to fix a problem. Yep. While we've already had the very start, we have Anissa who is more actively trying to change the system in a more immediate now way, which it should be. And if anyone is, doesn't know my opinion, we should be out protesting every single day and we should change it yesterday. We can't wait for it to fix, but we're not here to talk about Chris's protest corner. <laughs> Maybe um, that'll be is, my, my show. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's, it's in a way frustrating uh, because I was watching this and going, wow, this was written before 2020 and look how, uh, precognizant they were. And then it's like, no, that's just how it's always been. And we, we go through this cycle of it becoming briefly popular in the mass consciousness before it gets kind of shoved away. Um, uh, the UK is actually going through a version of this right now because, uh, there was a report that was compiled in the early 2000s that were like, hey, the Metropolitan Police are racist. You should change that shit. Uh, and then an incident happened a few years ago. Uh, and so they commissioned a new report. And it's like the report's like, hey, remember that old report? Yeah, nothing's changed in 20 years. Um, and so now, again, it, it's the cause celeb now. But what happened in those intervening 20 years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's, it's frustrating because it's like it feels like this was – ahead of its time and like no that's just the cycle of history and the only reason it started getting as much attention as it did is because the advent of cell phones and being able to record and post those incidents because these things have been reported for hundreds of years of happening and they're always not believed for some reason by a large majority of whoever the predominant class is and mm-hmm. class or structure of society at the time and a lot of that for America are white people who aren't believing stories of marginalized people being harassed by the police. Even when they see video, they still find a reason not to believe it, but that makes it harder. Right. And so it's that constant thing of having to constantly reprove these events occurring to get any sort of assistance to try to make change. And that's all encapsulated in the show in the first five minutes. They've told you all of that. Yeah. To then... Yeah use that platform to start moving into the rest of the plot in the series itself that never forgets its true story, but it sort of adds on superheroics on top of it. Right. And, and again, what's really amazing about this is that we talked about this a little bit in Luke Cage, but Luke Cage went through an entire season and never really adequately explained why Luke Cage doesn't simply punch every racist he sees. It, <laughs> it, it, it talks about how he takes the higher road because that's what black man needs to do. But the, the show never actually ex- dug into why. And this show on the CW, I want to add, threads that needle in five minutes. He is a principal because he has seen these systemic problems here. He tried to do a superhero, it's failed to accomplish anything, and realized this is the only path they can use to actually make meaningful change. And so it's mm-hmm. like, do you efficiency of nailing that down again in a very organic way it was one of the things that it was only after i finished watching these two episodes i was like oh yeah that stuff was established right off the bat agree so uh henderson also i think is a character from the superman comics 
And this is one of the few interpretations of Henderson. They got to be performed live. I think there might've been a version of the audio dramas in the fifties or sixties. Oh, okay. And then you get to leave the school with Jennifer going to the club for the 100. And you keep hearing the gang like about the 100 little here and there. Anissa was protesting them. And you get that glimpse inside the club. You get to see who Jennifer wants to be compared to who people perceive her to be. And she wants to break that shell. To then be pulled in to the actual sort of crime syndicate part of it. Which then goes into how dark and gritty the show actually is. When you leave this part of the society to come to here to engage with it. And you get introduced to Lala. I, I love Lala and I hate Lala all at once. <laughs> it is a, a crime boss that sort of has their own warped code, right? which then in itself goes and parallels a lot of the stuff from Harlem. If anyone knows about who Queenie is, mm-hmm. um, Stephanie St. Clair, who was a, an amazing mob boss who did all of this number running in rackets, but then she also went out of her way to try to reinforce the community that was there. And you have Lala sort of paralleling some of that by trying to make all the kids go to school to learn more. But then he also wants them to go back on the street and sell drugs and everything else. So it's right. a, a warped moral code, but it's still a code of a kind. And it's, again, very refreshing from just black gangster who gangster because gangstering um and it's like no there's there's some kind of and him being a former student of pierce's also was an interesting touch it's so i mean there's another residence of did i fail you as your 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 principal um going on there and also him going i learned this from you and it's like that's true but also (laughs) completely wrong at the same time (laughs) so i i I love it layers upon layers upon layers like that is how you write characters and character interaction Mm -hmm. all right so we we get jefferson leaving the school to come to the club and you're getting glimpses of what his powers can do because so far we haven't really seen we've seen like eye flashes here and there and to have him walk up to the guy and i just want i just want to get it and saying and making a Sammy Davis Jr. joke at Jefferson, which if you don't get it, I'm going to let you people go and Google it for yourselves to find out. (laughs) Uh, To then hear him say, which is something I myself even said, I tried to do this the right way and then uses his powers. It's that constant restraint of trying to use the systems that society has told someone they need to use to make things work. Mm -hmm. And then having the ability to make them work regardless. Like that is a nice parallel that I've enjoyed. Yeah, I really love that. It's a great moment. I guess we're running a little long. I will speed up a little bit because I can do a <laughs> beat by beat. Um, so he frees Jennifer. We get Jennifer going home. We get Gamby, who, ah, oh, do you know where Gamby comes from? No, I don't. The actor. Have, no. have you never seen the Warriors? Ching, 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 ching. Really? Is that him? oh my god (laughs) that's why it's even a little funnier but whole other story going in and amazing trying to convince him to take back up being a superhero and it has a point that you promise someone you won't do something but you promise someone that you will not be yourself to be with them Mm -hmm. 
Like the le- that in of itself is a painful thing to see that I can only be with you if I cannot be my full extent of who I am. To hear that someone else telling you that speaks volumes. And uh, to, to jump ahead a little bit, I mean, I won't say much, but like uh, that actually sets up a longer threat. I, I originally, I thought it was just going to be kind of a, a, a throwaway thing of like, you know, I can't watch you do this anymore. I can't do it anymore. But now I want you to do it thing. Uh, but there is a longer thread of uh, Lynn kind of wanting the powers thing to go away, but never admitting it to anyone else or even herself entirely. Uh, so it sets up an actually really complicated emotional situation. Uh, but it starts off as like, of course, this is the the hysterical wife who wants you to to give it up because you know she's worried about your safety. Um, but it, it goes into much more interesting places. So yeah, full props. Again, this episode sets a lot of stuff up. Like this is what you think you're going to see. And then even this episode, you start to go, that's not what you think. Like, like uh, uh, we talk about Nissa getting her powers. If you don't know the backstory of the characters, that's a huge jump. It's like, oh, there's more than one superhero in this. That's, that's <laughs> different. And we, we cut from that. We'll go to the school where you have Will walks up on the school with a gun trying to get Jennifer and you get to see that Anissa knows how to fight. That is a nice glimpse that mm-hmm. she's not only does she protests and she's brilliant, but she also knows how to protect herself. And you mm-hmm. get that brief glimpse of like, what are you going to do? Shoot everyone here in front of a school. There's no getting out of that. Yeah. Yeah. Which to keep fast forwarding a little bit, cause we're going to run long <laughs> is you get the Jennifer and Anissa both captured by will and taken to the seahorse motel that we've they dropped earlier and now we know what's going to happen to them and jefferson to go to gamby who for nine years gamby has been working on a suit knowing the day would come like that oh i loved it it's like i thought you'd do this one day jeff it runs downstairs to put him in a brand new suit not like that cloth little thing that we saw but like an armored suit to get out and fight funny and, and touching to show that he wants him to go back out and do the thing and so when I first saw this and I saw the suit, I was just like, oh, no, um, I, I did not like the, the armored suit when I first saw it um, because I'm like, it, it, it looks cheap. Honestly, when I first saw yeah. it, I was like, eh. um, but it did grow on me. Uh, and, and especially because the show made an effort to explain why the suit works and looks the way it does. Uh, because it's like, as a, as a, as a creator, I was like, okay, showing energy is very hard to do visually on screen without being over the top about it. Uh, so we had to find some way to show when he's low on power, when he's injured, whatnot. And so making lights fade and come back on is a way to kind of do that. And I'm like, it's, it's cheap. But then the, the show makes an effort to say, oh, it's because the, the, the suit actually is when he needs to modulate his powers. And say, like, okay, now I'm on board. Why there are two giant glowing indicators on his chest to tell everybody what's going on there? <laughs> it's a superhero show. I just kind of accept that. But they kind of put the suit out before the explanation. So if there's a moment where I was just like, oh, oh, buddy, what's going on here? And then, it's, okay, no, you, you pulled it out. Thank you. But it also goes, it, point, it goes to a point, though, that Jefferson is not bulletproof. So it's... Right hones in on that and that is a very important distincting fact like you have Kara who can take bullets all day you've got 
Barry who can dodge around bullets. And Jefferson has great power, but very squishy. And we see that squishiness constantly reinforced throughout the show, which means the armored aspect of it's really important. Right, exactly. And then he, he does a raid on the Seahorse Motel, which I love the show all the way up to here. And then this is where the budgets kind of kicked it a lot. <laughs> yes. Because I'm going to go to the establishing scene after he's freed both uh, Anissa and Jennifer, him standing up on the top of the two-story motel, and they do the skyline shot. It's two stories. Even I watched it the first time, I was like, <laughs> everyone can see him. Like, there's no way not to see him. He's not hiding behind the side. He's out in the open, which how you should be for your superhero shot. But it's a two-story motel. Like, that is the part that my brain got stuck on. And I watch, I've watched it several times since then. And still, it is a two-story motel. <laughs> and it's a two-story motel. And your chest is glowing, Jefferson. You're not hiding. <laughs> so that that was that is my biggest drag on the first episode that hard to get past that right right uh any other comments on the first episode before we move on um i i, I want to talk a little about tobias but i think it makes more sense if we talk about the next episode where tobias is more of a, a factor in it okay season one episode six three sevens the book of thunder Joey Toledo contacts Deputy Chief Cayman, and Gamby picks up Black Lightning before the police can find him. The next day, Jefferson deals with Anissa getting in trouble with the police in relation to vandalism of a Confederate general statue, which all those should be ripped down because they weren't put up back then. They were put up in the 60s by a bunch of white fucking racists, as well as Vice Principal Floyd showing cyberbullying videos about Jennifer. Meanwhile, Lynn compares the brain scans of those on green light, a new drug that was sort of introduced in the show, and black lightning, while black lightning prepares for a confrontation with Tobias. Anissa uses her power to destroy the Confederate general statue after she learns that someone was killed over it. Afterwards, Anissa contacts Lynn to reveal her powers. Due to an attack at the hospital, black lightning cancels his plans planned attack on Tobias. Anissa shows up and fights off the thieves. Black Lightning, thinking that she was the assailant, battles her and injures her. After realizing who she is, Lynn and Jefferson call Gamby for help. Gamby visits Lady Eve. Lady Eve, by the way, Jill Scott, uh, if you don't know who she is, go yes. Google her. Yes. Having trained her and makes a deal to keep the Pierce family off limits to the 100 who want to stop Lynn's research. Meanwhile, Khalid takes up Tobias's offer to walk again. Anissa awakes and discovers that her father is Black Lightning. <laughs> a lot happened in this episode. Yeah, a lot happens. Um, goes back to before we really get into it, a point of something that I really like is that this is only a thirteen episode season, which means you get a lot of things happening in most of your episodes. I think. All television should have truncated seasons that make their episodes more meaningful. And then you just get more shows with shorter episode runs. So you get a variety of things. We talked about it before, and I'm using this moment to talk about it again. I, I generally agree with you. Um, I, I've been mulling over uh, uh, 
nuanced uh, approach to that, but I haven't fully formed it in my head yet. So I'll generally agree with you. I will certainly say that CW shows, we've talked about it throughout the past three shows. There's a lot of filler where we have jumped a whole chunk of episodes and it's simply the plot has not progressed very much. And it's because the plot has not progressed very much. Whereas we're only cutting five or six episodes each, each time it's like, Oh, the status quo is completely different now. Um, and so this show is, is always moving forward. Uh, and I, I really dug that. I, I felt like this show was tightly paced in the fact that this show, uh, show is three episodes longer than the Netflix shows we looked at. The Netflix shows looked flabby, frankly. Yeah, because they wrote their shows for the probably concept of having around eight or nine episodes and they were stretched out to 12 or whatever it was. Right. And that's not the approach to take. If you have a shorter season, you don't write less, you write the same. Right. But whole whole other podcast where Eddie and Chris Talk about how you make TV shows from the TV shows they've made and their successes in that field. Exactly, because we, we, we know all about this. <laughs> but you're going to make a, a, a real point, not me just delving. Um, uh, so, to, Tobias, um, am I right in that he is not the first albino black villain? I feel like this is a trope that's been done a few times. I want to say yes, but... Uh, that is an area I will admit that I am not super up on. I know that in the uh, comics, I want to say that originally, at least in one of the rebooted versions, that Tobias Whale, that was sort of a very large albino-esque man at that, was because one of the mystical people was trying to jump into Jefferson's body, and Tobias got in the way, and that's why he became a massive albino strong person because of a misdone magic ritual. This is a show's interpretation of that. Right. And um, um, I want to say the actor that's Tobias is a famous rapper whose name eludes me at the moment. Again, it looked familiar to me the whole time. I, was, I, had, I had kind of a weird uncanny valley moment of like, should I recognize this person? I feel like I should. Um, uh, but anyway, uh, it, it, it bugged me a little bit because um, there's kind of an implicit uh, sense of, he has lost his blackness in a very literal sense. And therefore he's lost his blackness as a man um, that, that starts to kind of creep in with the character. Uh, it, it does find a more nuanced approach later on, but certainly when, when first I see the character on screen, I was like, I don't, I don't think I like where this is potentially heading um, uh, because it, it's, it's, on the one hand, it's like the, you know, I understand that it's a sexual understanding of like being albino about the same thing as being white, but there's an easy way visually to kind of connect those pieces. And sometimes that goes into very weird places if you, if you don't handle it carefully. Well, that's, there's, there's a very large nuanced conversation that we could have here that we'll not do today right. that deals with colorism, um, self-hate and hating of others and a mix of something that's not racism, but ooh, a, uh, a prejudiced. And a lot of that is involved right now. And it, I could even go back and talk about during enslavement times, how you would have the house enslaved that would treat the field enslaves different, like they were lesser. And right. There's a, a whole other very long, serious conversation to be had related to all of that. Oh, no, totally. Um, and uh, I know that also this doesn't 
this even goes beyond the black experience. Like there's a whole nuance of uh, skin tone in Mexico and how those relate to each other and how the different groups perceive each other. Um, so I understand it's a whole nuanced conversation, but I did want to bring it up because one of the things I think salvages this is the act this is actually Khalil's story. Um, because then we have another person who has self-loathing for a completely different reason. Uh, and then it starts to kind of pair those characters in an interesting way. And I was, I, I brought it up because, because I could talk more about Khalil's experience as, as a disabled person. Um, and the whole, you are less of a person because you are disabled is a very strong trope. But again, the show quickly pulls out of a tenement of a really rough nosedive because it is completely accurate that if you gain disability later in life, particularly from an accident, that kind of self-loathing is very real for disabled people. Um, and there are lots of people, myself included, who are like, if someone came up to you and said, hey, I have this magical thing or this magical surgery that will just take your disability away. Some people would really gravitate to that. Some people absolutely would not because they feel like that erases them as a disabled person because it changes their identity, changes who they are. Uh, the deaf community in particular has that problem. And it goes back to us talking about Hawkeye at some point. Um, but uh, I felt like you had these two characters kind of in the same narrative space of, of being self-loathing on some level and how they go about that. But at least I can speak from Khalil's perspective. I, I really connected to that because I've I've had those conversations, right? Of like, um, I don't want you around me because you think you're being a good person because you're pitying me. And I don't want to be pitied by everyone around me. Uh, it, it's, it's a very real disability struggle. Um, and I felt like that was actually handled uh, very authentically in this episode and in the episode we're going to follow because that this, this storyline is pay off, but it was that from, we talked about earlier about um, the, the cop seeming hard to watch the conversation between uh, uh, Khalil and uh, Jennifer was hard for me to watch because I was like, that's very, very real. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to awkwardly pause here. <laughs> It's not like I'm going to make a joke after that. That's yeah, I know. That I is. Know. So, uh, Mystic Ritual goes wrong in comics and makes Tobias into the albino version that is like massively strong and everything else. Mm -hmm. That's how it happens right. in the comics. And the show's interpretation, which I like better than that nonsense, is <laughs> it's nonsense. Is this one, who is more of just like a crime boss who may or may not have superpowers. Right. Mm, kind of hard to tell right now. It's sort of in that weird aerospace of superpowers with Tobias. Right. Um, it, it honestly, it felt like it channeled the best parts of the Kingpin in the Netflix series. Oh, it's like yeah. Just on the outer edge of human potential. Um, but there's a lot of the the... the very different performance, but still some very similar notes. Uh, again, in a way that all of the crime bosses and all of them in uh, Luke Cage never quite accomplished, I think. Uh, how did you like Anissa's use of her powers? Because up to now, we've had her sort of researching her powers because as a doctor, she's trying to figure out how they work and come to the conclusion that you can have superpowers. And then her one of her first instincts is to suit up 
and go yes. and elevate her own protesting to be a more active force in that. I 1000% as I guess exactly what someone that age would do in that moment. Um, I do love the continue, even though it's not part of the Arrowverse, I still love the continued CW trope that a line of spray painted makeup on your eyes means that no one recognizes you, even the person <laughs> who gave birth to you. I love that. <laughs> what else does it take? Well, are you going to tell me that a domino mask would protect your identity? Come on. It's, Looking at you, it, Robin. But I mean, in this in this episode, honestly, uh, I loved because the first episode was like, this is very much not a CW show. And I was, I was on board for that. It's like, cool. They're, they're broken with their formula. They're trying something new. And then this episode comes along and it's like, the DNA is still there, right? We're still going to have big, dumb superhero fights and superheroes who don't recognize each other, even though logically they should absolutely know who they are within <laughs> seconds of seeing each other. Because this is when you have the big, dumb superhero fight. Um, and so Anissa just being like, I have powers, I'm going to break shit. And I think it's amazing. That's what I would do if I had superpowers when I was that age, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you said that. I was hoping you'd mention that because I wanted <laughs> to bring up the fact that I think Cress Williams is amazing, is an amazing actor. He was uh, in, I want to say in Star Trek too. He was one of the, who are the Wraiths of Dominion bring as their soldiers? Oh, Not uh, Jim Hadar? Or, anyway. Yeah, he was the first Jim Hadar to appear on screen. Side of adventures. Oh, okay. I found that out. Just kind of cool. Um, cool. But amazing actor. He brings Black Lightning like unbelievable power and everything else. He brings Jefferson like charisma and awesomeness and swagger. There is no way you would not know that he is Black Lightning. He right. is a six foot six black man that is awesome. Jefferson <laughs> Pierce. He is a six foot six <laughs> black superhero who is awesome. I, and I haven't seen anyone else that tall on the entire show. I know. I'm just saying, <laughs> Henderson's not doing his job. <laughs> it's it, it just look. It's and like I actually thought that the plot was going to be the police chief knew the entire time, right? Because the way he's like going, man, Jefferson. If only we knew who Black Lightning was. And I'm like, I'm waiting for like look at the TV screen, you know, at that moment. It's just like, come on, buddy, you got to know. I know. And I just started watching this show. And you've had nine years to figure this out. <laughs> Now you're going to make me talk about uh, Gordon in the uh, Dark Knight Returns. How the Don't whole time you think he knows who Christian Bale is Batman until the very scene where he, I didn't know you're Batman. It's like, oh. <laughs> it is unbelievably frustrating that detectives are so dumb. Yes. It is. Like, that. that is their one skill. Uh, you got the cops on the street whose job is to harass people. And you have detectives whose job should be to figure out crimes. And I it also shows some of the detective work that Jefferson and Gamby have done where they go to the doctor that pinpoints who Tobias goes to and you get to see Jefferson do a hero thing and convince someone to stand up to make a difference. Yeah. And you get that hero moment that always happens to like Peter Parker where you have a personal issue, personal crisis happens and you have this superhero thing that you're supposed to do which one do you go for? Yeah, that was great. And Peter, 
always goes for the the superhero thing and lets a personal issue fall like nine out of 10 times. And then you have Jefferson who makes the opposite choice to go and save Lynn instead of Mm -hmm. trying to stop Tobias. And we both know that doctor's dead, right? Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, so dead. Like (laughs) you called me here for what? You're out of here. So and, and again, again, perfect kind of Spider-Man style face. I'm glad you brought up Spider-Man because I was thinking that too. The the doctor being like, "You'll absolutely be there, right? You know, because because I, I might die. And he's like, no, I'll, I'll totally be there." And then like, "Oh shit, my wife's calling. I gotta go. Sorry, bye, buddy." Um, and <laughs> like, the guy's dead. Um, but I, 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 you mentioned before this is dark and gritty, and it's like it's it, it's not entirely because it's again it's still a CW superhero show, and, and this episode proves. They're not shying away from that, but it is definitely also shows not shying away from consequences. Um, mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, Jefferson, I, I joke about it, but like people genuinely don't know Jefferson's black lightning. He's and, and only one person oh, now two at the end of this episode. No, three counting Gamby. know that he is black lightning. Uh, so he's being very careful about who knows what. And each time he does, there's some kind of cost for him for revealing his identity to someone. Uh, unlike, say, I don't know, Barry Allen as a random example. Yeah. <laughs> you might as well put, hi, I'm, my name is Barry Allen on his Flash uniform. Oh, God. All right. So I've actually kind of forgotten now where that shows up. But one of the reasons I chose one of these episodes is because it gives flashbacks to, I think it's in this one, to his father being killed by Tobias by literally like shoving all the news articles down the certain Jefferson hiding under the bed. Like that is a powerful scene to witness, but then also goes back to in the first episode where he talks about he became Black Lightning to kill Tobias is the first thing. Then it became all those other things. Yep. And it sort of reinforces that moment. And I wanted to make a specific point of mentioning that his father was also a crusader for justice, like through journalism and fighting that way. It goes back trying to change the system. And, and it was really refreshing to be like, <laughs> here we are episode six, and to say, oh, and by the way, here's how Black Lightning started. Um, and they wait until the moment where it matters for the plot to actually dole that information out. Because if you're watching this CW show, and you're kind of going, gee, I don't know how superheroes work. I wish I knew how the, where this guy got his information from. You're watching the wrong show. The show knows what it's about and what it's doing. And it's like, okay, you're here to watch a superhero show. We're going to show you some other stuff because, you know, we, we have other things to say. But you're not here for that. You're here for super stuff. So we're not going to take up your time telling you how superhero stories work. We're just going to let you figure it out. And it's a, it's, it's a, it's a confident, confident stroke. And uh, it's earned confidence because, like I said, right now we're seeing that. But by showing it here, then now we're right next to him making that choice of not killing a whale. And that matters more because we know how much it matters to him. And then we lead right into him not making that decision. Uh, That is stronger because it's not reminding us of it it's telling us for the first time how much this means to him so it, it th- that emotional resonance is stronger for us as the audience and so we feel about the same level as he does when he chooses not to go it's extremely confident writing my, my last point for this episode before we move on to the last one is 
the fight between Black Lightning and Thunder was <laughs> fun and just engaging to see their different powers and how they would work yeah. together. And it also showed Anissa, even though she's only been a superhero for a limited amount of time, that she was becoming more and more proficient, how she's able to hang with someone who had done so many years of superheroics. And it demonstrated their powers too, which was nice. I also liked how their fighting styles were different. Like Anissa was uh, a, a bulldozer as a fighter, which makes sense for her powers. And also she's relatively untrained in this kind of fighting. We saw before that she's uh, a competent combat, but there's a difference between fighting self-defense and fighting as a superhero. And so it was very kind of blunt force moves, whereas uh, Black Lightning stuff's a little more elegant, uh, a little more tactical. Um, and you saw that experience in the choreography. Again, some great storytelling in the choreography you don't always get in these superhero stories. Uh, any other points before we move on to the last episode? Uh, Gamby. In these three episodes, we don't see much about what's up with Gamby. Um, it looks like Gamby's been doing some shady stuff. Uh, is that, am I reading that accurately or is that just kind of how this is paced? So, all right. We haven't talked a lot about Gamby. We should take a beat to do that before we move on to the next one. Um, mm. Gamby, you find out, it's directly related to the next episode. It used to be equivalently a spy for the government. He is part of the green light program, like a predecessor to that. Oh, okay. that's going on. And that's one of the reasons he sort of quit that and took on Jefferson, who was sort of a byproduct of some of the stuff they were doing, as you see next episode. Right, right. And so he has like all these old spy contacts. He has like all these old spy skills, as you've noticed throughout the couple of episodes. Right. And he's trying, he's basically on a redemption arc. And there is some episodes in the middle where he tells the Pierce family what he did. And then they're all on the outs and then they sort of come back around. Okay. And that's why you find oh. that he trained Lady Eve amongst other things. And he has already made some sort of pack with him beforehand. And it's also why we have Jefferson keeps talking about wanting to kill Tobias. Gamby is constantly just trying to like shift him a little bit over here, a little bit over here. Right. So he's walking that gray line. Uh, uh, I'm glad you told me that because uh, the bits I saw of Gamby in back in the head, I was like, is this the well story done better? Uh, Cause it kind of felt like that in the sense of this is actually all my fault. Um, and I'm trying to, push Jefferson's directions as a way to atone for my own sins. Uh, whereas with the, the flash with the Wells storyline, it was kind of very silver agey. We talked about that where it's like, it's it, it's it with somebody else. He goes back in time and nonsense because it's flash. Whereas this is, it, it, it felt much more grounded in the sense of there's these small steps of like, I'm going to use every ounce of collateral and favors and resources. I I've gained through my ill gotten past to protect this man. Uh, and I really was ex interested and excited about that. Um, it also had some weirdly uh, burn notice vibes to me um, in the sense of oh, yeah. spy who's completely on the ouch trying to do something better with their life. So it, it goes to that thing of someone who's done so much bad that one day they sort of wake up and realize everything they've done and they want to dedicate their lives to trying to fix some of that. But then you have him taking on Jefferson, whose father died and sort of becoming a father figure and that becomes his family. And so not only do you want to right those wrongs, but you want to protect your new family. Right, right. Okay, cool. I, I read that right, because I, I, I was 
I was like, oh, something with Tobias. And, I, and then I was like, got really excited about where that might be going. And it goes to a larger point of something where you don't tell anyone else because it's your dark secret. So you don't want to burden them. But yeah. it also then goes and eventually you have to tell them. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, Lady Eve, Jill Scott, awesome. Season one, yeah. episode 12, The Resurrection and the Light, The Book of Pain. After recuperating, Tobias is told by Martin Proctor to capture Black Lightning alive. To aid in the mission, Khalid emerges where he was ah, emerges where he is given a spinal implant to help him walk again. Gamby confronts a weapon maker named Thomas Hidalgo for information about Proctor. While Hidalgo finds information, he is confronted by Lala. Meanwhile, Lynn works to help Jennifer with her condition. Jennifer, by the way, his powers have emerged to somewhat extent right. under orders of Tobias Khalid as painkiller attacks Jefferson's high school using paralysis needles based from a toxin. His implants now create, let me repeat that paralysis <laughs> needles based from a toxin. His implants now creates to draw out black lightning so that they can find out who he is. When black lightning confronts Khalid Tobias joins the fight. And once again, you get to see Jefferson is not a hand to hand combatant. As Jennifer works to get, gain control of her abilities, Thunder faces off against Cyanide. As Tobias restrains Black Lightning, Khalid does a strike that stops Black Lightning's heart, from which Tobias mm, cares a little, uh, <laughs> just because it cost him something. Right. Uh, Cyanide covers their escape as Jennifer resurrects Black Lightning. Resuscitates Black Lightning, not resurrects. He didn't die. Same thing. Basically, same thing. The <laughs> the family retreats to a wood cabin in North Freeland, and Gamby cloaks them from tracking. Let me repeat that once again for people in the back. <laughs> Gamby cloaks them from tracking. <laughs> Following the incident at the school, Proctor tells the vice principal to find Black Lightning. Meanwhile, Lala is brought to Tobias, and Tobias places Lala under his control using a mystical phrase and plans to take out Proctor next because Tobias has also taken out Lady Eve. And we have now reached, okay, yes, I'm watching a CW superhero show now. <laughs> we have reached full nonsense, but it was, it was better to work our way up to here. <laughs> because I, I care about these characters. I care about Khalil and, and not as much about his toxin produced by his robot spine. That, oh boy. It's, yeah. it's just yeah. nonsense. Uh, but again, uh, I, this is the thing I want to talk about. The other piece of the Khalil thing I want to kind of talk to the part here is that um, the show is very good that no one ever treats Khalil like he is lesser than he is because of disability. It's all Khalil put on himself and, or separately, uh, um, Tobias exploiting that to get him to do this highly experimental thing to turn him into a, a soldier. Um, so the writing is very careful about not saying, no, disabled people are, 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 lesser and should absolutely try to use medical science to to make them into productive members of society and more uh someone who a, a, young, a young black man in particular who is self-loathing uh can be exploited by people uh, and turned into something that maybe he wouldn't normally do uh so i think there's a really good balance of that tonally for me it was um this episode wow um 
the fact that this episode leans into some some of the Reagan stuff from the uh, when he was president and their use of crack and cocaine and everything else yeah. in black neighborhoods is the basis for this entire first season. And uh, uh, I'm not going to go into that, but if you want to Google it, you can. I'm going to talk more specifically about the episode, not about the evils of Reagan. Um, but, but related, um, it was also interesting. I really dug the Lynn Jennifer Jefferson dynamic here uh, because there's a really interesting conversation happening here where Jennifer wants to be quote unquote fixed, right? She wants to have these powers removed so she can live a, a normal life. Uh, Jefferson sees that as offensive because like, there's nothing wrong with my daughter. She's fine to have powers. And we've taken the time to establish that even though it's not said directly as a line, we can imply through his dialogue and his acting that he sees it as an attack on him. Like you tried to make me stop using my powers and therefore make you feel like I was less of a person for having them. So he's seeing his own experiences in his daughter, uh, which is ours to share. And Lynn sees it as she's suffering. I'm trying to remove her, my daughter's suffering. I don't see this as making her less of a person, but doesn't actually refute the accusation that she needs to be cured of this. It's It could have been a very flat, boring conversation of superpower as ability, and instead becomes an extremely nuanced conversation and I'm sure uh, you probably have some viewpoints on this as well, but on top of uh, black people being used as experimentations in the medical community, all those layers kind of build together to mm -hmm. some really interesting nuance between those three characters that really crackled on the screen for me. It did. And it was, uh, I, I like how you suddenly brought in my historical knowledge and context for all of that. <laughs> So it was because we recently took a trip to Baltimore and there's now a, a new museum. Uh, unfortunately, I've forgotten her name right now because it's early in the morning. But the black woman who the government took her cells and they started creating cures for all sorts of different diseases that they were never carded for. And it is staggering that has constantly happened. And it's also why a lot of black people now, myself included to some extent, do not like to go to the doctor. Right. And when you receive treatment at the doctor, it's not the same level frequently that white people have. Cause I know for instance, mm -hmm. a personal story is that if we have to take our daughter to the hospital, I will have Jill, my wife take her rather than me take her because she would receive better treatment and people will treat her faster than if I take her. Yep. And so all of that is in my brain as I was, as I was watching this for, again, for context. And it's brought up a lot of stuff for me personally. And so it was nice to see, but at the same time, to make it a little less personal, it brought up the mutant metaphor that Marvel frequently has yep. with Rogue, who mm -hmm. wants to be cured of her powers. And then it becomes a thing also of if there is a part of your body that you didn't like, would you have it removed to make it a more physical representation of that power aspect of it? 
Is that something that then Lynn would have supported having done? Oh, that's I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, it is almost kind of to a degree also a a a, a trend a trans metaphor in that regards too. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there are and, so and many it, layers. It, 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 it's so many layers, and I'm glad that the writers use this as an opportunity to make it a character moment because it could have just been three people having a, a kind of almost abstract conversation about this. Instead, they, they said, okay, what do the characters feel about this? And how does this move the character arcs forward? Um, and, and now uh, Lynn, again, is in a really interesting place because she can theoretically, she has the potential now to have her entire family do what she ultimately wanted to do at the start of the show, which is to not put themselves in danger. While also recognizing that even without these powers, most of her family are still going to throw themselves headlong into danger. <laughs> mm -hmm. Which goes back to one of the things that I believe makes superheroes who they are. It's not the powers. It's the will to do the right thing. The powers are something that just helps facilitate do that better. Right. Um, um, and moving moving ahead to the uh, Khalil scene, um, I also like how subtly this pays off the scene from episode one, where a, a member of the 100 was going to come to the school and start shooting people up, and Jefferson's like, you know, think about the consequences of doing that, and now we see the consequences of doing that. It's it's, it's very much a superhero story. But it's also a school shooting, right? Yeah. Um, and, and the show's not afraid to make that connection. I'm going to go back to the start of the episode where we oh, have Proctor and Tobias, which you have Tobias who's already had a fight with Black and Lightning was an episode that we skipped where Black mm -hmm. Lightning kind of toast Tobias. That's why he's coming out healed now uh, and he okay. has that protective suit later. But we also get the drop that there are all these cylinders of the kids who've been infected with green light from like way back in the eighties or whatever, they've been moving wrong that are in stasis, which isn't important necessarily for the finale of this season, but it's something that comes up later. And I'm going to give a spoiler. If I remember right, that is where they also drop static or a character who is very like static. Really? I, I think it's, I've only ever watched it in a long time now, but well, I mean, it, you have, to have people the other, other, other black man with lightning powers in DC Universe worked in somehow. <laughs> um, I take that back. It wasn't. It wasn't static. Oh, I wanted it to be, but it wasn't. It was someone that could talk to machines. So he helps Gambi a lot. But those okay. cylinders that they kept them in stasis and sort of show up and they like get released later. It's a whole other thing. But that's why they're really important. They're trying to track them down. It follows green light. And the fight at the school, as, as you were pointing out, I, I enjoyed it. It was great. But it also showed, though, Jennifer's use of her powers and yep. how, while they're really impressive, there are the tells that when she's going to use it that you had Tobias's second pick up on, who we can also assume has some sort of underlayer of protective skin. Because if you notice yeah. the cut on her arm, it looked like there was that wasn't flesh under there. Yeah, it's a good point. Uh, that was also a, a bit of a shock because I was like, "That's really graphic for a CW show," and it's like, "Oh, it's 
because it's not actually skin, but it looked like it was her huge gouge in her arm for a second. Like, whoa. Which is why she could take the punches that Jennifer was dealing out. They were battling back and forth. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, uh, that scene reminded me of something I I liked is that I like when superhero shows write their villains as intelligent. Uh, It's one of the things I liked when we talked about Jessica Jones, right? Is that uh, um, Kilgrave was not dumb and that made the whole season a little more compelling because he didn't make really obvious mistakes. And it's the same thing, like, Tobias learned from his past encounter and, and cyanide, you know, also had, had learned something. It's not quite enough to save them. Uh, but there's clearly an escalation of stakes based on them going, okay, we doubt this about our enemies. Let's plan for that and actually try to be different this time. Uh, so I'm going to start wrapping up here for this final episode. So if you have any other thoughts, uh, feel free to add in, but we get the fight between Tobias and Jefferson where Tobias is going to pretty much win. And when Jefferson equivalently dies and they run off, we get to see Jennifer trying to make her powers work and discovering that they are very much linked and can empower Jefferson. Mm -hmm. So that was a, a nice touch before. We get Gamby and the mystical cloaking shield that goes over the cabin. <laughs> it's yeah, it's 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 shield super science effectively, you know. Any final thoughts on uh on on what you've seen of Black Lightning? Um well I mean we we're kind of skipping over the whole using a magical phrase to put Lala under control. I mean, just like, I was trying, is that magic? Is that some winter soldier mind control? Um, so I'm trying to remember now, since I, I didn't, I didn't have time to watch each individual episode, but equivalently, if I remember right, Lala becomes, is it the tattooed man or resurrection man? From oh, DC so okay. like when he kills people, their spirit essence, a piece of them sort of, it becomes like almost a tattoo on him that he can sometimes see visions of them. And it is, it's magic of a kind because Lala gets killed and comes back. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's magic. That's where lady Eve, I think came in. And that's why I was saying Tobias sort of skirts that line. And I think Tobias is actually magical, like in the comics, but it, I don't remember them saying Tobias has magic. It's like lady Eve worked in the funeral home. Lala died. There's a scene where Lala gets blown up and comes back. Okay. So it's it's like that. He doesn't have like super superpowers, but he has the immortality power and can like talk to the dead people equivalently that he's killed. Well, that's a question I think to, to my kind of final thoughts in the sense that uh, as we've gone through the Arrowverse shows, um, we've seen that the Arrowverse has been a little uncomfortable with figuring out what kind of superhero shows they want to be. Um, and we're now hitting a part where it's a little more confident, like Supergirl, you start to see, okay, we're going to basically make a Superman show and you have to do all the stuff you have to do a Superman show. Um, and so they were getting a little more confident with it, with the flash. I think they overcorrected from the, the dark realism. I use it in air quotes of arrow. Um, and went a little too silver age. Um, this is 
if I did not know this is a CW show, I never would have guessed because this is for me, like the perfect balance of what I wanted out of a superhero show. Right. I want to start off with the conceit of the superhero show that I want to slow build to get to the weirdness. I'm fine with the weirdness. I love the weirdness. That's why I'm here for these kinds of shows. But you don't start off with, and this guy's magic, and this guy has lightning power. It's that you build, <laughs> and you, you, you work your way up to that. So now at the end of it, you're like, wait a minute. How did we get to a guy with tattoos summoning spirits when we started off from he was just a high school principal? You know what I mean? It's like you know, the fact that we, we, we build to that means that by the time we get there, we care about the characters and the, the, the drama between them. Um, so, And that's something that, Frankly, I feel like the other CW shows maybe could stand to benefit from learning a bit uh, because they're so excited about recreating the comics on screen that they're forgetting one of the reasons we love these comics is the drama. Uh, we frequently name drop Jay and Miles uh, explain the X-Men, but one of the things is that their tagline is um, our favorite mutant superhero soap opera. And it's the soap opera part I think that gets lost a lot of times. And CW does a different kind of soap opera. Uh, but this is a very different kind of, of just, this is just drama. This is just a dramatic show. If you took super stuff out, it would still be a strong dramatic show. And I was not expecting it to be this, frankly, this good when you suggested <laughs> it. Um, I was prepared for pain, the book of pain, if you will. And I was not only pleasantly surprised, but at the end, this rapidly went to probably my favorite Arrowverse show so far. And this first season is definitely for me. Uh, I will say, though, that if memory serves, the first season is amazing. The second season is really good. And then it becomes diminishing returns, I think, for season three and four. I don't know if that's because of the pressure they were receiving or if because they were then put more into the Arrowverse proper itself. Maybe. But something sort of changed in there. And it was still good, but it lost what this had. Yeah. And like, for me, this first season is, is magic quite literally. Uh, <laughs> and so I'm glad we had a chance to talk about it and it was fun to go back and watch some of the episodes and remember bits and pieces I'd forgotten. Um, but I, I think that's it for black lightning. So if people are really curious what we're going to do next week, which I of course know is going to be Mulholland drive, what would we be doing? <laughs> Um, well, we're actually not going to be going to Mulholland Drive. Uh, instead, uh, uh, we're going to cover uh, the best time travel show that's ever existed, uh, DC's time Legends Tunnel? of Tomorrow. <laughs> uh, for Legends of Tomorrow, um, I'm going to say up front that uh, of all the shows we cover, this is the one where the first season is probably the weakest of all the seasons of the show. It gets better as you go along. But we've committed to uh, arbitrary restrictions so we're gonna stick with it uh so we're gonna watch uh the first two episodes because it's a two-part pilot and then we're gonna do uh episode six star city 2046 so we can see what dc's take on the cyberpunk universe is spoiler it's not good <laughs> if if people are looking for you online to find out why you're restricted to only the first season of a superhero show where can they find you uh you could yeah, if you want to find out why we're restricted first season, you want to go to Darker Hue uh, <laughs> and ask that account why we're in this arbitrary restriction. If you want to talk to me and my outrage about this, uh, you can find me uh, on uh, Twitter as Pugsteady. That's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. That is also my websites.com and where you find me on Mastodon at Dice.Camp.
Uh, if you're looking for me, you can, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and say now that you should just buckle in next week because the Legends of Tomorrow has a very large cast. So Eddie's going to have to give you a bio of every oh, single character God. and their superpowers. And then we can start the show. But if you're looking for me online to so we can laugh at Eddie together, you can find me still <laughs> on Twitter, probably until like May at a darker underscore hue. You can find me on Discord at DHS on Mastodon server Dice Camp, I believe. Or you could just go to the Darkview website and buy some of my stuff. So then I feel more money to drink coffee to make more of these random shows. Indeed. So that said, we will see you next week where you can watch uh, all the second level tier characters shoved into one show. Legends of Tomorrow. <laughs>